Across Global, sparking innovative thoughts. Is the crypto winter coming to an end? If so, what is next for the fintech industry? Hello, this is Texas Global Podcast, a podcast series by Texas Media seeking to share and inspire you with the latest innovative ideas. I am your host, Pupei Chawodat Yung Nun. On this episode, we find out what's next for fintech, a sector that continues to receive a lot of attention around the world. Our guest today is at the forefront of developing fintech. Pat Patel is the executive director of Elevandi, a not-for-profit organization that engages with leaders from government, businesses, academia, and civil society to foster international collaborations with members on technology innovation, application, and adoption. Elevandi is behind the Singapore Fintech Festival, which has attracted all stakeholders in fintech to come together and collaborate. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast. I think we are very excited to know about the evolution of fintech and also what's been going on in this region as well as the rest of the world. But before we get into the nitty-gritty topics involving uh, fintech, can you tell us a little bit about Singapore Fintech Festival and how it's been so far? Yeah, thank you very much. And it's great to be on your show. Uh, so it's it's been eight years now since the festival first started. And, you know, it's grown from a very small activity of around ten to 12,000 people all the way through to 66,000 people. There is about ten to 12,000 companies that attend and it's just been a tour de force. More that it's grown from being um, across kind of Southeast Asia all the way to becoming a global phenomenon. And so, you know, when we think about the essence of what makes the Singapore FinTech Festival different is because it brings policy together with finance, together with technology. And we firmly believe that you need those three communities coming together to have a dialogue around the future of financial services and to solve some of the challenges or at least start discussing and building bridges. And that's kind of the focus of the festival. Clearly, there is a huge expo and there are multiple stages and roundtables. And all of these things generate business activity. You've got it at the surface level, so where you know sales and partnerships are developed. But then you know the real kind of cream of what we're looking for at the festival is is trying to inform policy roadmaps, get alignment, but also start to really drive some of the discussions on the private sector side, because there are lots of challenges. You know, we've seen over the last few years that we all need to come together to try and find a way and chart a path forward. And that is the very essence of the Singapore FinTech Festival. We also have fun. There's lots of networking opportunities because, you know, everyone works so hard that you really want to play hard as well. And so the mixture of the two happens throughout the week. And, you know, we've been super grateful that um, TechSource has supported us. And, you know, we support your activities as well in, in Thailand. And we hope this partnership can continue for many years to come. I was uh, going to say, um, you know, the the word in my mind was phenomenal, right? In terms of the growth that you've seen uh, with your festival. And it only reflects the, the interest and, and the importance of the evolution of fintech. So let's take a look at the emerging technology. You know, we have uh, artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain that is reshaping the financial services uh, industry. 
Uh, but what has been the latest updates that we've seen so far from from your festival? Sure, it's, um, it's a very pertinent question, and you know, for us, it's all about the growth and adoption of technology because technology can really create new opportunities and. When we think about it in the context of financial services, it's all about re-architecting the current financial services system. So that's the underlying infrastructure, the way products and services are delivered. And the more technologies that we can use, and whether that's artificial intelligence, whether that is the blockchain rails, or even kind of the early onset of quantum computing. And some would say that it's the combination of these technologies that we're beginning to see surface and when they come together in a really valuable way, that's where we can create more equity or equitable kind of financial services to 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 people, um, to consumers and businesses. Because if you think we still have 1.4 billion unbanked around the world, we have countless others that are underbanked. And at the moment, the main challenge has been around the cost to serve, as well as kind of the the the, the pricing that is offered to customers and and consumers and businesses. And so by leveraging these technologies, a lot of the dialogue was really around, you know, how can we use AI in a responsible way? How can we start to really push on with blockchain technology? Because there's been a little bit of a setback over the last few years, but the technology is still fundamentally of great value. But how do we move forward as, as a community, as one community? And that is policy meeting finance profession, uh, professionals, meeting the technologists. And that's what the, the the way that we see the festival um, adding value to, to to what can really happen here. And you know, it's it's certainly um, a changing you know macroeconomic environment. And so, with these technologies, we hope that we can leverage them for good. And that has been the essence of what the festival has been around um, in 2023. It's interesting that, um, you know, especially as you mentioned, one of the the things that draw so much attention to your festival is that oh, you include all the stakeholders, in particular the government side. And when you take a look at trends, as we mentioned in terms of AI, there are concerns about its impact on society and the industry at 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 its core, because uh, obviously there's going to be disruption in, in the way things work. Um, what are the global fintech trends that have been identified and are as most influential at the festival? And, and how are they expected to impact the Asian market? Well, I think, um, you know, you quite rightly mentioned artificial intelligence. That's been the buzzword of this year following uh, ChatGPT at the tail end of last year. And so, you know, it's with any transformational technology, there were always risks. Everyone said the same thing around cloud technologies. Everyone said the same thing when, when blockchain technologies started to break through to the mainstream. And, and AI, if you think about it, has been around for like 50 years or so. There's been the hype curve and then it's kind of subsided and it's been kind of peaks and troughs with, you know, the applications of AI. And we're just going through another kind of hype cycle with this. I think, you know, if you look at what's happened in Europe in particular with the European Union's um, AI Act, which um, came through a few weeks ago, I think that was um, quite a watershed moment. And there was a lot of discussion. So we had the European Commissioner come over to the festival and she talked quite heavily about, you know, this AI Act that was um, the impending AI Act and what that means. And so there's been a lot of discussions around how do we create a harmonization across different jurisdictions? And so one of the, the goals is, you know, 
how does the European Union's AI Act influence the thinking of policymakers and regulators in other jurisdictions? And so a lot of thinking has gone on, certainly during the festival and will continue, where different regions will be thinking about this. What is the response? How do we start to create um, variations of this European Union AI Act in, say, Southeast Asia, in, in Africa, in Latin America, or in the US? And then you could start to really get um, a, a level playing field. So companies of all shapes and sizes, largely the large tech companies, really can start to you know, develop products and services that are standardized. And that standardization will come from some of the rules and regulations that are, are, have certainly emanated from, from Europe. So that's kind of one element. I think the other element, um, which is really important is if you think in the last five or five or 10 years, we've seen a wave of real-time payment systems. You know, Thailand has um, PromptPay, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. Singapore has its own variation of this and, and India has its own variation. And that's been great because real-time payment systems create opportunities um, for new services and products to be built, but also means that the velocity of money flows around the economy much quicker. But I think, you know, when we start to look at this, there are other kind of foundational um, infrastructure that is required. You see what India has done, you know, uh, about six to seven years ago with the India stack, where you have an identity layer coupled with a real-time payments and interoperability layer with a third layer, which is around data exchange, and a fourth layer is around consent. And so that's more around data protection. And so one of the talks that um, has been kind of emanating for a few years now and is gathering more momentum this year and certainly at the festival was around how do countries move towards having this infrastructure stack? And so that is something we see as very important because very few countries have this. Um, we're seeing a wave of thinking going on in Africa, in Southeast Asia, even in Europe and Latin America, they're beginning to think about how can we bring this stack together? And when you start to think about the Web3 world that the, the world is moving towards, how does that stack start to couple with Web3 tools and technologies? And so that was the start of a conversation which not hasn't really happened, mixing this digital infrastructure layers with advancements in technology such as Web3. And so I see that being a big topic in 2024. The next piece, um, which we've started to see um, since the festival and, and there were conversations during the festival, is the potential end of the crypto winter and what this means. We've started to see, you know, digital assets seems to be on the rise, certainly in the last month or so. Um, use cases, valuations, and importantly, business activity. And I think this is going to be really important for 2024 that we come out of this crypto winter, but we start to maybe change the terminology a little bit here because it should be anchored around digital assets and it goes way beyond currency. Um, it becomes more around the assets that can be digitized and, and transferred and exchanged in a, in a material, but also a responsible way. And so those are some of the things that I see as global trends that, um, have been in and around discussed at the festival and we've seen movement happening over the last month or so. Are you serious? Do you think there's going to be an end to the crypto winter soon? I think um, early 2023, early this year, uh, you know, there was, I was talking on you know, my podcast and, 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 you know, there were comments saying that, oh, perhaps maybe in the summer or <laughs> towards the end of the year. Um, what are the key indications that you're seeing that, uh, in, in, 
adding to what you just mentioned that, you know, signal that there is going to be an end. So, so a lot of the companies that we're speaking to for the first time in since the winter began have been really optimistic. Um, that's one indicator. And these are some of the big players in the industry from, from the US all the way through to those based in Asia. So that's kind of one sign. The second sign is certainly the use cases and the traction that is currently happening. I think stable coins is, is receiving quite a bit of attention at the moment. Um, some of the government-based projects where they're working with industry seems to be getting a lot of attention as well. And then also valuation. So investors seem to be quite bullish now. Um, around coming back to this scene and we'll start to see that pick up I think in 2024. I do think what has happened is this winter has reduced a number of the business models that didn't quite stack up and I think that's a good thing and you know certainly in Indian culture we have this cycle that um, has been around for thousands of years where you have creation, you have maintenance, you have destruction and then it comes round again to creation. And we're in the phase of destruction has happened. We've seen a lot of companies fall by the wayside, sadly in some cases, but rightly so in other cases. And we're now beginning to see creation. And I think that creation element will take a different path than what we've seen before. And what that means is businesses thinking more around first business principles, thinking more around profitability rather than growth at all costs. And thinking about a robust business and commercial model. And that's something, you know, we're seeing across the fintech landscape as a generalization. Um, and it, it's only but good for, for, for financial services, but also for consumers and societies as well, because there needs to be organizations with good principles, responsible, and really looking to address some of the pain points in the industry, rather than just make the headlines and raise money at, at, at mere wish, which is what we've had for the last three to five years in fintech, but also in the cryptocurrency and digital asset space. I think it really echoes what we've seen as well during the pandemic in terms of the, you, I would label as like the pruning, the pruning kind of stages, right? Uh, you know, making things a little bit stronger and better. Uh, but obviously when you talk about innovation and progress, uh, you mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier in our conversation today, and that is, um, there's a lot of anticipation that there's a lot of things that needs to be done and to evolve. But at the same time, uh, a barrier that could be there could be the regulation side where it might not be as fast as developments. And there is an anticipation that there should be some changes. Um, when we take a look at the regulatory changes affecting fintech development, how have they been uh, based on the discussions and the panels that you've seen at the festival? I think um, if you look back at maybe five to 10 years ago, it was very rare to see policymakers and regulators engaging with the industry in open forums. And it was even rarer to see that even happen in closed door forums. You may see it with regulators and policymakers and the key banks, but you really didn't see it with the wider industries, so startups, fintechs, etc. And so that is one of the most important sea changes that we've seen in the last few years, and it's becoming even more pronounced um, this year. And certainly at the festival, we had thousands of policymakers and regulators from all different jurisdictions. I think every major jurisdiction was represented at the FinTech Festival. And the difference is they were open. They were willing to have dialogues, willing to have conversations, sitting on panels with the industry, sitting on roundtables. 
and really being open and accessible. And so that's one thing which I think is is something which is very powerful. And it plays to the essence of the festival, which is policy meets finance meets technology. And so this bit, I think, is a powerful force because you're beginning to see collaboration occurring. We'd always seen it between finance and tech, but not necessarily on the policy side. And so these dialogues that the festival and, and Elevandi has been creating has started to nurture that. And, and the reason for this is, you know, we see this as an opportunity for policymakers and regulators to really think about their policy roadmaps and to seek industry's views, not just the banks, but also fintechs and technologists and finance professionals of all shapes and sizes. And so that then becomes more of a collaborative way of thinking about the next three to five years. And so that is kind of one element. The next piece is around responsibility. And so it's been a big push on the policy side to uh, and policymakers and regulators to think more responsibly and to encourage the industry to be more responsible in the use of technology such as AI and digital assets. And so there were a number of government projects that were discussed and announced with the industry. So rather than, you know, in, in, in recent years where governments would announce, you know, certain industry projects and there would be some industry participation, but to talk about it in an open forum and invite views and opinions and validate thoughts. That bit was uh, very, very special. And we saw MAS, we saw the Bank of Thailand involved. We saw multiple regulators as well as multilateral agencies. So we were very fortunate this year to have um, the IMF managing director, Kristalina. Um, she came along and she talked quite a lot about what the IMF is doing. The World Bank was present as well. So the president of the World Bank, Ajay Banga, was there as well. And so these discussions and topics really starts to spur on growth and change because both of these individuals came to the festival, not to speak on stage, but to be involved in the dialogues with the industry and with policymakers and regulators and looking to kind of set up new projects for 2024. I think the next piece around this is, is more around alignment between regulators as well. And so we saw a lot more of that because it's, it's difficult where for the industry, where regulators and policymakers may in one country decide to go down one pathway um, and others in that same kind of region are not necessarily in sync. And so we saw a lot of uh, regions coming together. We saw cross-regional regulators and policymakers coming together because more harmonization, the greater the harmonization across the world in terms of policies and rules and regulations, the easier it is for startups and banks and other organizations, it is for them to expand products and services in multiple markets. And that's the part that Elevandi is, is really committed to is connecting the world through impactful fintech innovation. And that's you know really good to see. And as we embark on 2024, we'll see more of this in different jurisdictions around the world. Wow. Pat, I'm getting very positive vibes. <laughs> I think it's so refreshing and exciting to to see that, you know, there has been that signal of of, you know, collaboration and to see them physically taking place at your festival. That's very exciting. And as you mentioned, of course, there's a lot of issues that needs to be addressed in terms of regulatory and uh, you know, policies. One of the hot buzzwords that we've been hearing 
uh, for quite a while now is uh, ESG goals or the Environment, Social and Governance goals. How is the fintech industry contributing to the sustainability of, of these goals? And, and were there any, uh, you know, updates on the situation at the festival? Yeah, so it's it's certainly contributing. I think, can it do more? Absolutely. I think there was a lot of technologies in financial services um, or the uh, the ability to leverage technologies that can solve some of the challenges. You know, for example, at the festival, we dedicated a specific zone just for ESG, uh, where we had both regulators and industry leaders to to share openly their challenges and also roadmaps. And, you know, the focus is how can we become more sustainable as an industry? You know, we enabled a lot of companies to share solutions and to support the pathway to net zero, which is, you know, what, what the goal is. The end goal is net zero and carbon neutral. And a great example of this is probably MAS's project um, called Project Greenprint, um, which aims to streamline the collection, access and the use of climate and sustainable data. Um, and there is a strong support from the industry on this. So it's not just regulators here. You've got HSBC joining this initiative, KPMG. MUFG, the bank from Japan, and also uh, Microsoft. And what we need to see a lot of is these linkages between public and private sector, because data is going to be a key part of this reporting, tracking, monitoring, and ensuring that we're improving uh, our footprint as organizations, as indi and individuals, and fintech technology will play a key part of that. So that's kind of the key bit for the ESG part. I do think there is a long way to go and we need more coverage of this at every activity around the world. We need commitments, we need pledges, but we need the technologies, the underlying technologies that can solve some of the problems or at least identify and make us aware of where we're going wrong as organizations or as society. And I think that's where FinTech will play a key role. It's definitely, as I you know, mentioned before, it's very refreshing and exciting to see that there has been progress. But at the same time, we have to admit that these are very big issues that need time, as you mentioned, and effort. And definitely there are challenges that come in the way. Uh, what are the main challenges currently facing the fintech industry and, and what solutions have been proposed so far at the festival? Yeah, so I think at the the base layer, if you think about the challenges that a lot of fintechs are having right now is funding, um, is having a sustainable business model. And we've seen a massive call, as we, we, we talked about earlier in the show, um, the numbers of defaults or, or fintechs going bankrupt has risen to the highest levels in 2023 than it has been, you know, since the beginning or the advent of fintech. And so I think a lot of the discussions that we had was around how do we build a robust business model? How do you think about, you know, the key dynamics of your commercial um, models? How do you serve your customers? Um, we also ran a number of mentoring sessions where experts, whether they were VCs, whether they were um, a, uh, uh, regulators, or even kind of seasoned founders were giving advice and guidance to, to some of the younger founders. Uh, we also ran uh, a VC office hours. So that meant startups could speak to VCs and seek to secure funding for, for their next round. Uh, we also ran something called the Founders Peak, which is becoming an institution now within Elevandi and at SFF, which is um, a TED type stage where founders have to give 10 minute talks 
not about their business, but around the pivotal moments that have shaped who they are as founders. And this learning and education is a key part of supporting the next wave of entrepreneurship because the next wave of entrepreneurs, if they can understand what it's like, what are some of the trials and tribulations of being a founder, they could fast track their growth. They could fast track their development by just learning off the recent or, or previous founders of, of the last decade. And that's an initiative, which is something we, we see as giving back to society, giving that education, that learned wisdom back. And so that was quite a powerful force, certainly to support fintech founders and the next wave of entrepreneurs. I still think there is a great deal of confusion around how organizations can leverage tech, you know, technology in financial services. So what SFF has, has done, as I've alluded to, is created that platform for both the public and the private sectors to align on the applications of technology. So what makes sense? What is responsible? What are the areas we should be looking to do, whether it's internal efficiencies that AI can bring, or even how do we leverage blockchain technologies to develop new networks into new jurisdictions? And so that alignment was very important and because without that alignment, we still have that confusion. We still have that ambiguity, which is a real problem in the industry. I think when we you know, look at framing what we can expect in 2024, you know, there was a lot of discussions around, you know, how will the industry evolve in 2024? And so at the macro level or at the regional level, or even at the industry level, a lot of insight was shared from leaders, from whether it was the IMF kind of managing director or, or, or the leaders from the government side, or even the industry leaders. We had, you know, a number of fintech founders from around the world, you know, unicorns as it were, who were sharing their thoughts and views on 2024. And so some of these things would really help the industry to start framing you know, what is it that we can expect? How do we overcome some of the challenges? And, you know, how do we think about, you know, positioning organizations, positioning topics for 2024? I do think when we come into 2024, um, there was a little bit more optimism. And I think while we will still have a lot of headwinds, um, there'll be a lot of challenges for 2024. I think organizations are better equipped to cope with it than they were uh, this year and the previous year. I think that is the biggest piece here, that organizations are becoming more resilient. Mm -hmm. um, and given that, and as we end the year 2023 and start 2024, um, there's I, I sense there's a lot of things to look forward to, but at the same time, uh, we kind of have to be realistic with uh, the situations in, in different regions of the world. So oh, in your perspective, uh, from you know the discussions and things that have developed over uh, the the talks in the festival, uh, what is the future outlook for fintech for the next five years? Yeah, so so I think um, the end of the winter, I think the end of the fintech and the the, the digital assets winter, I think that's the short term that's going to happen in twenty twenty four. Um, I think with the way fintech has kind of grown as a sector since. Kind of round about 2010, 2011, largely emanating from the financial crisis in 07, 08, I think we're going to see a golden age of fintech because I think the way businesses and certainly founders are thinking is that first principles, thinking about profitability over growth. We're seeing that now in the tech sector. If you've noticed, there's been a, a big cull of workforces. There's been a, a refocusing um, in the tech sector. 
we've seen we've seen this already in in fintech, and I think we'll start to see a golden age where business models are robust. Um, first business principles are at the heart of what organizations are looking to do. And I think we'll start to see, you know, more of a, an expansion as it were. I do think that if you think in the last, say three to five, maybe five to seven years, we've seen a deglobalization, largely because of the geopolitical forces. Um, I think we'll start to see a reversal of that and we'll start to move towards globalization. And that will take a little bit of time. I would say that is more of a medium term um, outlook for, for for where we are. And that medium term globalization will enable businesses to scale across multiple markets because we start to see more regulatory alignment between different jurisdictions. Rather than an East versus West, we'll start to see East and West. And I think that will be a, a big difference um, over the next five years. I'll also see, think we'll see Web3 come to the fore as well, probably more medium to longer term, but that will be somewhere between the three to five years. We're seeing a lot of experimentation coming along, but I think that will start to come to the floor in the same way that Web2 did during the financial crisis. It kind of really, you know, I think it was around 2007, 2008 that we saw real movement in in Web2 companies, so the big social companies or the big platform companies that were that had arisen. I think we'll start to see that. And then lastly, I think um, Asia will become the dominant fintech market. Um, I think there was a, a great study by uh, the Boston Consulting Group, as well as um, I think it was QED Investors, where they put a great report together earlier this year. And they also predicted something similar, that by 2030, Asia will be the biggest fintech market by revenues. Uh, currently, it sits a little bit behind, clearly, well, quite a bit behind the US, but I think it will overtake um, the US marketplace and it will be firmly the leading fintech market, largely because when you think about the potential still from India, which is slowly beginning to be realized, you think about the potential from Southeast Asia, where there is a lot of headroom for growth. We have a rising middle class, which is equating to lots of business opportunities. And we still have the power coming in from China as well. And we have a sleeping giant in Japan, which I think will start to slowly come to the fore because Japan has been largely slow to move in the fintech space. And I think Japan will start to also come into this space in a bigger way over the next three to five years. And that all leads us to Asia becoming the dominant marketplace. And everyone will start to look towards Asia as being the leading light for fintech innovations. And that's my big bet. I know it might be controversial if you're sitting in, in the West, Western mm -hmm. side of the hemisphere, but um, I certainly believe that. And there's been a lot of talk about it, certainly over the last, say, three to five years, but I think it's becoming a reality. And we're beginning to see that in, in multiple ways, whether it's the regulator side of things that are becoming more open and building bridges between different jurisdictions, or it's some of these big tech companies that we're seeing or the next wave of talent and entrepreneurship that is beginning to take hold. Wow. I I can't wait. I can't wait to see that happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of things to look forward to, especially with Elevandi as well. Uh, to cap off our conversation uh, for 2024, what can we look forward to from uh, the, the works of Elevandi? Yeah, so we are continually growing. So we're a two-year-old organization. Our mission is to bring public and private sectors together to advance fintech in the digital economy. And so a few things that we're looking to do is, so we launched earlier this year a subsidiary in Japan. 
Um, we believe that Japan is going to be one of the key marketplaces in Asia. And so we have a few activities. Uh, one is um, a festival we're running in March. Um, we also go to Africa. So we will be going to Ghana as well as Rwanda, where we're running inclusive kind of fintech initiatives to drive activity and opportunities. We also have our platform in, in Switzerland, where we partnered with the Swiss government uh, called the Point Zero Forum, which is more around digital assets and it's more of a policy tech dialogue. And then on top of this, if that's not enough, um, we have a couple of partnerships in Latin America where we're working with the Milken Institute, as well as the Development Bank across the Americas, IDB, where we're looking to run a few activities there. And, and the whole purpose of this is to start joining the dots, start to build bridges between different jurisdictions, because we all face similar challenges. Why face them alone when we can face them together and create new opportunities and build those bridges for organizations to move across, as well as regulators to start looking at initiatives and um, corridors to support their, their their work in their own jurisdictions. Well, Pat, thank you so much for, you know, giving us your time for our podcast and also, uh, you know, giving us the good news about FinTech and how it is evolving. And we're so excited to see what's next. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And I look forward to spending time in Thailand very soon. That's it for our latest episode of Texas Global Podcast. For more in-depth conversations like this, check out our podcast series at texas.co. Thank you for joining our conversation. We hope you have been inspired. See you in our next episode.